and welcome to episode 49 of the Department of Metal Antiquities. We're at episode 49. In just a couple of weeks, we are going to be at the one-year mark, and we have not missed a week of content. So, I am always happy to bring you extra content. Excuse me. We're at the end of the work week, and this is the last podcasting thing I have to do before just kicking off and just kicking out the rest of my Sunday. Got uh, Led Zeppelin queued up on the turntable and through the outdoor for some reason. And the legitimate reason is I'm trying to listen to records I haven't listened to in a while because if I haven't listened to them in about a year, then they don't have the anti-static inner sleeves put in. So getting those through. Of course, you have tuned in to... The Department of Mental Antiquities, greatly appreciate you checking us out this week. If this is your first week here, hopefully you will want to come back next week. This week we are doing our first uh, Pink Floyd twofer, checking out a Roger Waters and a Nick Mason record. Next week it'll uh, be a Rick Wright and Dave Gilmore twofer. So you're definitely going to want to go ahead and subscribe. We are the podcast that talks about famous musicians with the Forgotten Albums of Famous Musicians. We do primarily metal or metal-adjacent or proto-metal like Pink Floyd or Aerosmith like last week or Metallica a few weeks ago. We have also done all kinds of stuff. We have done uh, Glenn Danzig, Sam Sam Hain, Black Sabbath, Dave Navarro, Dark Throne, Megadeth, Alice Cooper, Carcass, Skinner, Ace Fraley, Geezer Butler, Dio, Steve Vai, Vanilla Ice, and it just continues. Iron Maiden, Joe Perry, Typo Negative, Dave Grohl, Pink Floyd again, Black Sabbath again, Beastie Boys. We did the Beastie Boys punk records. Uh, Hawkwind, David Lee Roth. Uh, The Butterfly Ball, which that is everyone. Ginger Baker, David Lee Roth, Robert Plant. I mean... We're trying to bring you all of the content by all of these people that we all know so well. So hopefully you're enjoying this and digging it. And I appreciate you tuning in this week while you are tuning into some uh, local podcasts like myself. And I would also suggest you check out my good friend Darren at the Fourth Line Voice. Darren has actually made the mistake to have me on his show twice. Uh, Poor choices. Poor choices, Darren. But if you like old-time hockey, Darren is a great way to check it out. He did an amazing interview a few months ago where he actually didn't talk to an enforcer, but he talked to a scorer talking about the role of the enforcer and how it made him feel. Interesting, interesting stuff. Also, check out uh, Alec at the fourth line. um, Damn it, two weeks in a row. Also, check out Alec from... Five for Fighting podcast, which is based out of Florida. Then there's also, of course, Joe Lazito with Coliseum Chronicles, all that kind of old-time hockey good stuff. Definitely check all of them out. If you dig old-time hockey, if you are a musician or a podcaster or whatever in the world who is trying to expand your reach, check out the C-Squared podcast hosted by Corey and Curtis. They're definitely going to give you some great tips uh, that I have used to great effect many times. But... With all that, there is not a whole lot more that needs to be said this week. It is episode 48. We are four episodes away. Four from a full year. And with that, we cue the music. 
and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. As always, it is Nick Cameron of Glacially Musical, joined by Duncan Evans of Moonlow, Waxworm, and Fatherhood. How are you doing today, Duncan? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Um, Fatherhood indeed is happening and um, I've been, uh, our baby's still in the hospital. Everything's fine, um, but she's going to be kept in for a little while for some checks to see if she needs an operation. But um, it's all fine. But yeah, it's relevant to today because I have written my notes on this, which is, um, I guess you would call it kitchen paper that you dry your hands with. Uh, We would call those paper towels. Paper towels, that actually is what we would call them as well. But for some reason, I can only think of kitchen paper. So there we go. That's what everybody apart from me would call uh, paper towels. Um, Okay, now when you were telling me this off air, I'm like, kitchen paper, what the hell is that? I mean, we do have that as well, but that's usually in a roll um, in the kitchen, whereas this comes out of a dispenser normally. We have both versions, but we still call them the same thing. Right, right. So yes, my notes were written with uh, a baby uh, in one arm, my earphones in, and uh, my my right hand with a pen and a lot of a lot of kitchen towels. So I, on go. our on our vanilla ice episode, we had to go because you know with all the house stuff that's been going on Paper in our towel. lives. What I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, I'm just correcting myself. I said kitchen towels again. Paper towels. Sorry. Paper towels. Carry on. Uh, when when we did vanilla ice. My wife is like, we got to go up to Orly because we always refer to the houses by street name. And that one was on Orly. It's been sold. It's gone. It's awesome. Anyway, we're driving up there. And I'm, I'm, she's like, we need to go work. And I'm like, I haven't listened to this record yet that we're doing today. And she's like, listen to it in the car. So I had to listen to Vanilla Ice on my phone while writing my notes on envelopes she had left in her, in her car. So anyway, obviously, we were listening to... Um, my favorite blues rock band out of Ontario, Sulphur City, who I reviewed a couple of their records on, uh, on Glacial Musical back when it was a blog. And absolutely love them. Lori is the singer and electric washboard player. So that's who brought us in wow. today. Thank you very much. Ontario was awesome. What are we talking about today, Duncan? Okay, I just want to say I really like that music, and I did mean to ask you who it was, but yeah, really great, very Patti Smith-esque in places. But yeah, today we are talking about well, two records. Should we just talk? Should we just mention the? No, let's tell. Let's say them both. So yeah, call it two. It's a twofer. Yeah, two offshoot records from Pink Floyd. I I guess that's certainly the notable band that both of these people have been members of, but they're also both collaboration albums as well. So the first one is Music from the Body, which is by Roger Waters and a guy called, is it Ron Geeson? Did I get that right? That's the way Um, I say it. Yeah, Ron Ron Geeson. Um, And then, so that's a soundtrack record, which we'll talk more about in a minute. And then there is also um, an album from Nick Mason, but it's also with Rick Fenn, guitar player from 10CC, I think. Um, So it's Nick Mason and Rick Fenn, and the record is called Profiles. So there we go. Two Pink Floyd-related albums today so i think we're going to kick off with music from the body which is roger, roger Waters. well it's actually billed as ron geeson and roger waters it's that way round. Um, when i so- bought this originally i thought it was primarily a waters record but what roger waters does on this album is he pulls a david gilmore geeson writes the vast majority of the tracks and roger waters just performs on them 
Right. Now, that's what I started to assume might be the case. I didn't ha I wasn't able to do any research at the same time during my listening. So I'm going to have to rely a bit more on you for that. Plus uh, Wikipedia that I've got up right now. But yeah, there's um, a few different styles on here, but there's, there's a lot of the music is very un Roger Waters. And I presume that most of that was Ron Geeson. Correct. Um, uh, Waters only wrote uh, there's about 38 tracks on this record because they're so short. And I believe Waters only had writing credits on four of them. So right. pretty I, much any time Waters is singing, he wrote it. Yeah, and you can very much tell there are a few songs which sound like Roger Waters' songs, which could have been Pink Floyd songs in maybe a slightly different arrangement. Um, yeah, I'm looking now. There's a few Geese in Water ones, Waters ones, um, about two or three that are just Waters, but, then, but yeah, most of them... I oh, just yeah. run Geeson. So I wonder what Roger Waters actually did on most of these, because I have to say, um, when he he's played. not singing and I know, but what's he playing? Because when he's not Bass singing, and playing maybe... right. Okay. But he can't be playing. And I mean, no offense to Roger Waters. Cause I, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Roger Waters, but he is not the best guitar player in the world. And there is some amazing virtuoso acoustic guitar on the, all over this record. And I'm guessing that is not Roger. <laughs> that Waters. Is, I would presume that is Geeson. Roger yeah. Waters as a guitar player is around my personal level, which as a bass player and a songwriter, I'm not, even, you know, I'm obviously not, I'm not in the conversation, but he, he writes on the guitar. He can strum some chords and I presume that's what he's doing and playing the bass. There's a couple of tracks on here with some real towards the end, I believe with some really good, like Roger Waters bass lines, kind of the stuff that's kind of, remind you later of money, remind you later of another brick in the wall part two. But for the oh, most sure. part, this album is just completely nonsensical without ever seeing the movie. Yes. Now I've never, I've ne also never seen the movie. It's a documentary about human biology uh, by a oh, guy called Roy Battersby. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Narrated by Vanessa Redgrave and Frank Finley. So yeah, there, there we are. Um, but I had a good go at imagining. It, I'm sorry. The fact that it's a documentary just makes this even nuttier. Yeah, yeah. I had a good guess based on the song titles and the or the track titles and the actual sound of the music. What might be going on in the uh, the visuals at the time? Uh, but I, it's only guesswork. Um, I don't one other know. thing, just one other thing to note is that. Um, I believe it says right here that guess who also played on some of these tracks, especially the last track, Give Birth to a Smile. There was a certain David Gilmore, a certain Nick Mason and a certain Richard Wright um, just on that track, actually. All that is the only track. That is the only track I want to actually speak about on this record. Sure. sure. Everything else, uh, I just want to go like this and, and the Nick Mason record. Instead of going track by track on these, I just want to each give our spiel on each side, call it a day, because there's so much here. Yeah. If we did track by track on the body, this would be a four hour episode because yes, there's indeed. that many tracks. Indeed. But yeah, so all of Pink Floyd were actually on that last track, but uncredited apart from Waters, apparently. So anyway, um, oh yeah, and oh yeah, I suppose we, we should say Ron Geeson, yeah, he plays electric and acoustic guitars, cello, Hammond organ, harmonium, piano, banjo, mandolin, 
And then along with Waters does tape effects and vocalizations. And yeah, Waters is bass, vocals and acoustic guitar. So, wow. So uh, some of the stuff that sounds like it's a small chamber orchestra or a uh, string quartet, maybe, or something like that. It's, it seems like it's actually just Ron Geeson layering up lots of layers of himself playing different um, classical instruments, basically. But imagine the fact that Roger Waters is taking orders from someone. Yeah, I know what you mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, I am ready to, to kick out my side one on this if you're ready. Yeah. Do you want to go first? I'll go first. I'm just going to read my notes as they are because they're, you know, uh, you know, it starts off with farts, burps and claps. There we go. And here's some uh, ragtime piano to go with it. Then followed up by a nice Roger Waters sentimental ballad a la, you know, Pigs on the Wing. Then we get violin and cello action, and the whole thing yeah, is just... As you often say to me, I think you're reading my notes, Nick. Oh, sorry. No, <laughs> and this, whole, this whole thing is just totally mad. I mean, we're on, I don't know, track 18 at this point, because I didn't follow... I mean, if you look at the record, because I did both of these on vinyl, on this album, you can't even tell where the tracks are. There's so many. And... And then it's just it's just it's it's really hard to know where the songs are starting and when you know then all of a sudden it's now now after i thought that oh look here it's time for a sea chanty because that makes sense to someone and then you know we're back to mellow roger but it goes too mellow too long and all of a sudden we're in a wizard of oz tornado song the stereo panning goes back and forth to give that real kind of cyclone feeling and now they're chanting and then they end the side with uh with a hoedown because why not a hoedown there you go that's side one for me right wow well yeah i mean you yeah you summed that up really succinctly i mean i just want to give an idea of some of the track titles here so we've got <clears throat> oh god do we have to got, yeah well not all of them but we've, we've got some um kind of what's the word M more um enigmatic ones like seashell and stone um but then we've got s song titles like red stuff writhe which i think is, is probably quite literal um in relation to what would have been going on on the screen and then yeah, it goes back to things like a gentle breeze blew through life a water song um mm. i think actually no it's not a water song in this case um sorry i got that wrong but then you've got stuff like i mean this is uh the best one more than seven dwarfs in penis land so there you go um, hard pass yeah let's uh, move on move <laughs> well, on that, from that you, you you left off my favorite my favorite title from this this side uh lick your partners oh yes absolutely because oh and, uh, okay <laughs> yeah and bridge passage for three plastic teeth all right. What the yeah. hell does that mean? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, so give me your notes on side one. Well, yeah, look, so so basically we've got the we've got a few quite uh we've got a few songs which I would say they're not absolutely classic waters because they're not they're not up there with his best work, but that but like you said, reminiscent of things like pigs on the wing, acoustic guitar, bass, waters singing. Um, some quite, quite sort of pastoral folk, psych folk. I Hang on, say. let me let, let me jump in on that real quick. Have we mentioned when this album even came out? Oh, good point. No, um, and uh, to be honest, I don't even know. Let's 1970. Have a look. Right. Okay, so 1970. So this, this comes out time of metal before metal. Not even metal. This comes out around because okay. the first album oh was 69. This comes out around the time of the second album. Oh, okay. Right. Well, there you so, go. Then. 
that's why when you hear Roger Waters on this stuff, you're not hearing classic Roger Waters because he hadn't found himself yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. I, I just felt like that was something that really should have been mentioned, and I dropped the ball on it. No, don't don't worry about that. Yeah, some great singing from him actually. Completely. Um, I really love his voice, but he's not. He doesn't always have a very pure or tuneful voice. On this though, um, you could be fooled. He he is pretty pure and tuneful on a lot of these songs. Hasn't totally. quite developed his own style yet. He's singing Agreed. kind of a, a sort of generic psychedelia type of voice. Kind um, of Sid Barrett-ish, like, like yeah. a very not, a, a, a second rate Sid Barrett. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, but then there's also, as well as those songs, there's some completely different stuff. So there's a lot of avant-garde classical type music going on where you've got uh, cellos and things like that. Some, I, I really like a lot of this stuff. You've got some, I guess, what, what you might colloquially just describe as weird sounding, some discordant harmonies mm-hmm. going yeah. on, some arrhythmic or sometimes maybe even atonal stuff going on. And then you've got a lot of... Um, cool effects as well some ambient passages there's there's the one at the start where there um th- there's lots of sounds of bodily functions basically all kind of collaged together um there's a bit of humor going on there you know there's farts and burps and all sorts um yeah <laughs> so yeah. i'm sorry in the english when, hearing farts and burps in an english accent will never not make me laugh there, well there you go there you go um yeah, there's there's some really cool ambient bits. I, I, I believe it was a track called Yeah. Here we go. The womb bits, which is obviously to do with the womb. Um, I, don't, I don't know why I even had to clarify that, but anyway, <laughs> it's re- it's really unsettling. Um, it's ambient unsettling stuff with these really nice textures. You you've got a guitar with a delay on, which happens a lot. So you've got like almost classic. Well, it is classical guitar, but through it through a delay effect to make it sound kind of Pink Floydy. And lots of swirly stuff, like you mentioned, the stereo panning, that whole psychedelic thing that was really popular in the in the late sixties, but used to used to really good effect. And, and and I guess we can relate that to some of what we heard a bit later with Dark Side of the Moon. Where oh, completely. And really Dark Side of the Moon and, and even metal, and you know, the, the next few Floyd albums really started doing that. Yeah, yeah. So and I that's mean, a I, I, real quick. That is a lost art, I think. Be because we lost for for most people. I think we lost the idea of two channel music, and two channel music is the best. Yeah, I I, th- I would I don't know if it's completely gone. I think there is some stuff that does that, but but I think back in those days, I think they maybe made a bigger deal of it a lot a lot of the time. I think nowadays yeah, people tend to go for natural. So there is stuff going on in the stereo spectrum, but it's kind of it's not obvious immediately that that's happening. Whereas back in especially in the sixties when they first had stereo panning, they were doing some crazy stuff. Like the drums would dance over from the left to the right, and then the vocals would start spinning round you and all this all this stuff that nowadays is considered to be a, a bit too out there but but is actually quite cer- certainly interesting when you listen to it and, and pretty cool in its own it way. makes for a satisfying um, listening experience for me personally and i miss yeah. it. and I, I miss that being part of the music anyway sorry yeah no sure sure um, and there's a, there's a, there's, it's a, it's the Seven Dwarfs um, one where we've got, oh no, actually, no, it is side one, it is still side one. Yeah, we've got this uh, 
vocal thing going on where, where they're almost scatting. They're all, I think Waters is involved in this as well. I think it's probably just layers of Waters and geese and, and they're sort of going da do 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 da 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 do 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 da. But it builds up in, in what I think is a, a pretty cool way and creates a, um, a, a cool atmosphere. So this is very eclectic. It's all over the place. It darts from one style to another. The tracks all merge um, into one another. Again, very much like Things like Dark Side of the Moon and those Floyd albums. Um, agreed, agreed. Floyd were one of the first groups that made a big thing of doing that, just mixing one track straight into the next. Um, I like it. I have to say, I like it. I don't like all of it as much as, uh, you know, to the same degree, but I think there's some really great stuff here. I think there's some really cool atmospheres. And I like one thing that it does, which I particularly like, is it fuses... Um, I guess what you might call contemporary classical or modern classical music with psychedelic effects and sort of space rock type effects. And I've not really heard that done on any other record. So, so for me, this was breaking new grounds um, in terms of stylistic fusion, if you like. Especially um, when you consider when this was recorded. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, that doesn't mean it's not an you know it's not an easy listen. No, Even the songs themselves, I would say they're they're quite low key. They're a little bit dour. They're not sort of hit single material really. Agreed. Um, but I think there are a lot of really great atmospheres, and I just like the fact that it combines styles in a way that I haven't quite heard before and I guess that's part of my sum up for the whole record but we should do side two because there is yep. some other stuff on side two yeah let me let me break out side two here uh yeah. you know it starts off with the you know crazy breathing then we're into fancy party music because I have no idea why and then you know Roger <laughs> this is when I'm noticing because Roger is intermittently singing on this whole record and this is when I in the beginning in the early days he had a very melodic tuneful voice it wasn't as effective as the voice he comes up with later you know the once we get past past metal once we get past metal we get that sneering roger which is far more effective but in the oh. early days he had a wonderful voice and now you know we're, we're it's feeling like we're we're living in alice in wonderland she's heading into space but the rocket ship is made of Russian nesting dolls. And there are a lot of... That's a lyric right there, the, or a song title. The rocket ship is made of Russian nesting dolls. I like Does it. that not sound like it should have been a title on this record? Yeah, I think we should write to Waters and Geeson and tell them to uh, retitle it and uh, <laughs> all, delete all pressings and retitle <laughs> it. But I mean, they. Th this is a great, wondrous record for me, and we get to the last song, and it. It's, I, I for lack of a better term, it's Pink Floyd. Even though, uh, they've got some. Uh, they brought in some singers doing it, but it's Pink Floyd doing more poppy kind of stuff. So it's a song that I would say really wouldn't even work as a Pink Floyd tune, not even during the Barrett days. Good song, but not a Pink Floyd song. Yeah, so 
I agree with with most of what you said there. So this side it has a lot of similar stuff to what I've already talked about. There's some more of those vocalizations, that kind of scatting. There's a lot of unsettling, dissonant, avant-garde, contemporary classical with the the cellos or celli. I think it's celli, the plural of cello or celli. Anyway, let's go. Not... Let's go with uh, celopes. Celopes. Okay. I don't even know what that means. Is that even a real word? I don't know. No, but, it's but... like it's like cyclops. The, right. the, the plural of Cyclops is Cyclopes. Right. I like it. I like it. So, um, yeah, there was a the first track of this side. I really I really think this is quite cool, actually. it's You've got the sound of someone snoring and then someone whispering in a Scottish accent, which will, of course, be Geeson because he's Scottish. No, that would be Roger. Roger loved to do a Scottish accent. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Geeson's definitely Scottish. It doesn't sound like Roger, but it could look, it could easily be Roger. Who did, knows, the, but... did the teacher in... in... Another brick in the wall part two sound like Roger because that was Roger. Was it okay? Yes. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Well, in Roger case, loves his accents. It could easily be Roger then. Could even be both of them to be fair. And true. Then, true. It, true. It sounds really sinister. You've got this reverb on it and this combination of snoring and whispering. You can make out one or two words, but not that much of it. I'm sure, if you really listened, you could. And there's just something really sinister about it. It's almost like being stuck in someone else's brain. Um, I just thought that was cool. Um, so I think you just summed up the entire Roger Waters collection. There you it's go. It's like being stuck in someone else's brain. <laughs> I noticed in his song, I believe it's a Waters song. It certainly sounds like it is. Breathe, um, not to be confused with. Uh, yeah, it's his Waters song. Not to be confused with the same uh, the track of the same title from Dark Side of the Moon. But the first lyric and it's repeated of this song, Breathe, is "Breathe in the air." Which I was mm. doing a fairly, fairly obvious lyric if you're going to be talking about breathe, but still, oh, that's fair. Right there. So there's there's two songs called Breathe with lyrics by Waters that have the lyric breathe in the air. So there you go. And I kind of hoped he was going to say, "Don't be afraid to care," but he didn't. No, that was it. <laughs> you know. So yeah, um, there is also a bit that goes really. There's a mandolin that comes in, and it sounds really. This track is called. Um, Bedtime Dream Climb, C-L-I-M-E. And you've got, um, no, it's not even this track at all. I'm talking utter, utter nonsense. I don't know which track it is because I'm trying to read off paper towels here. <laughs> How do you expect <laughs> me to know what I'm doing? It's actually, um, do you know what? It's actually the last track of Side One. So what do I know? But the mandolin comes in there and it sounds a bit like Led Zeppelin. Three, if right? you can remember where X and Y hit on this album, I am impressed. Because it is such, it's such an oddball collection of oddball things. Yes, it is. It is. But basically, I've summed it up. Um, but I will just talk about that last track, Give Birth to a Smile. Um, I think it's a brilliant track. Um, you've got these gospel vocals. You've got a full band, which, as we know now, is actually all the members of Pink Floyd. And I, I do think it's not it couldn't go on dark side of the moon but i do think that we're that it's bit it's slightly prescient towards dark side of the moon um you know the big choir vocals the gospely vocals i think uh, you're no 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 that's wish you were here yeah okay yeah okay they hired uh, two gospel singers and they were on wish you were here but hang on, hang on, though. I'm thinking, no, but I'm thinking of um, what's the last track on Dark Side of the Moon? Um, or the last two tracks, because one fades eclipse into Eclipse and Brain Damage. Da brain yeah, Damage and Eclipse. Like, they see you on the Dark Side of the Moon. That's yeah, brain yeah, yeah. That's, that's got the, um, 
maybe it's Claire Tory, like layered up or something, but there's definitely no, some. No, Claire Tory was on Great Gig in the Sky. No, she was, but wasn't she? There's definitely some like female vocal harmonies or something on that track. I'm, I'm very sure there is. Okay. Um, I'll go with that. That that type of vibe. Um, it reminded got... me of the 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 Wish You Were Here vibe. There were two black women from America that they hired. That's right. To be on that record. So if you pay attention, care, they're not real high in the mix, but if you listen carefully, you can hear them underneath everything making because apart from roger well i mean roger's got a wonderful not sorry apart from david and 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 rick although i don't think rick sang on wish you were here at all apart from so you have david and you have if roger and and you know roger's not that at that point in time roger's voice is not great so you know you bring in the people to to make it better yeah, no, actually, yeah, and I remember seeing that in a documentary with these gospel singers that mm -hmm. didn't know what the hell Pink Floyd was and just didn't get this at or all. Or care. Yeah, and we're, just weren't really sure why on earth they were doing this, but then it was, you know, it was kind of a really big deal, and I think they all made a, a fair bit of money off it. I hope they did anyway. Yeah, they, they, they did well, and they were very proud that they were on the recordings. Yeah. That yeah, was something yeah. that they, they talked about, and they... They would be in the limo while all five, all the, the four guys were fighting with each other and be like, nope, I'm just going to comb my hair now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, yeah, I like that song. I think it's really got re really nice hook. Um, and, the, yeah, there's some guitar on it. And I, and I actually I did think it sounds a bit like Gilmore on guitar here. And, and it obviously it actually is Gilmore. Right. Uh, right so right. there we go. Um, so, yeah, I guess to, to sum up, I kind of did most of my sum up after side one. Um, I really like this record. It is not a pop album. It's not an album um, of songs. Um, and it is an album that is absolutely all over the place. It jumps from style to style. Um, but of, of course, that often works for movie soundtracks in a way that it wouldn't if you were just um, just doing an album for the sake of an album. And and I, I just really like a lot of the atmospheres. I, I actually prefer the atmospheric weirder stuff than the songs. I think Rogers is sorry, Waters has got better songs elsewhere. These ones are fine, but you can find his other stuff and probably mm. enjoy those more. But some of the atmospheres here are really cool and yeah, and, and for me, it also combines those styles, particularly the contemporary classical with the psychedelic space rock effects in ways that I've not quite heard before. Does some great stuff with um, using um, effects and ambient recordings to create atmosphere and to create unsettling moods and things like that. And I found that I was really visualizing a lot. It won't be anything like what the documentary really looks like, but I, I can see things going on. And it certainly took me on a, a journey that I'm, that I'm glad I went on. And I'm sorry, you know, I still am weirded out over that it's a documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll watch it one day. Maybe we can do that in a later episode. You never know. But we uh, sh we should do something ridiculous like that. That sounds like a good idea. Where we watch it together and discuss it. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. No. Well, that's that's basically it. So, so for me, it's yeah, it's it's a weird one, but it's supposed to be a weird one. And I, I think it doesn't sound like anything else um, that I've heard before. There's some absolutely brilliant atmospheric weirdness on here. And there's some pretty good Roger Waters songs, not his best, but pretty decent. Um, so for me, it's absolutely spinning. I'm really glad I checked this out. And um, yeah, if you like weird stuff, 
then I'm sure you will. Find yeah. Some yeah. Like, yeah. But so it is weird. For, for my sum up, uh, I'm going to keep it a bit simpler and less for, and more concise because that's our, our dynamic. And <laughs> if you're looking for Roger Waters unadulterated where he doesn't give a care, this is the record for you. Because this record, this is Roger Waters at his absolute strangest. Yeah. And if that is something you want, now me being a Roger Waters super fan, I want anything. I would I would buy a record with Roger Waters farting on it. In fact, I probably did. I was going to say yes. So... If you are such a fan of Roger Waters that him farting on a record and burping and then slapping his butt, because that's probably what that was. I I don't know, man. I don't know what they were slapping. It sounded didn't sound like hands. It sounded like, you know, bellies or butts or something. I don't know. It It's a strange record. It's a hard record to listen to. It is probably my least favorite Roger Waters solo material, even though it's as much it's more Ron Geeson than it is Roger Waters. But hearing a couple of dudes just go all out crazy. And then you get a few little Roger Waters ballads. As you said, it's not his best. But if excuse me, of course it's not his best because we are not at the point where we're not at the point yet, even where Pink Floyd has made it. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're not gonna you're gonna get Roger Waters throwaways on this. Is and these are little throwaway ballads that you know he uses that template later to great effect. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a snapshot of a budding superstar, of a budding uh, megalomaniac, a budding, you know, authoritarian, you know, musical legend well before he's even found himself. So for that reason, I say spin it. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. Before we get over to Nick and uh, Mason and Fenn, Let's take a quick break. Hello, 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 hello. So we are moving on now to side two of our podcast episode. And this is where we talk about Profiles, which is the 1985 record from Nick Mason and Mr. Fenn, Rick Fenn. There we go. It's just credited as Mason and Fenn. So there we are. Um Real yeah. before we before we dig deep into this, I think we need to mention the cover. Because what in the hell is that? Yeah, so the cover is incredibly 80s, and I'm probably gonna say that more than once, incredibly 80s, that is, during the course of this. Don't read um, my notes. Yeah. So it's like you've got a silhouette of I guess it's a man with a penguin nose mask thing penguin beak mask or one of those medieval plague mask things and then a, a kind of uh almost a bowler hat type no mask. no that is the uh a oh god uh what were those called a straw hat straw hat that's it a red straw hat and a kind of bright red megaphone thing. no that's a funnel it's just a funnel isn't it that he's he's holding it up like a megaphone that's why i'm Correct. calling it a megaphone and then one yellow hand, one green hand, one green foot, and one orange foot. And then the rest is just in silhouette. Yeah, I do not know. I mean, I guess he's in profile. That's the only way. I mean, there's a relation there between the title. And then, and 
and then the backdrop looks like the 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 backdrop we in America anyway that we all did for our seventh grade photos. Right. Yeah, we have a similar thing here. Yeah, absolutely. A kind of blue, uh, blue fading to green, fading to a bit of purple type. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so it, yeah. I. What that I, I I mean that that cover and it and the the it's not a silhouette I I I would say it looks like a dude that was dipped in crude oil. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose that's, so. I mean that's just how I see it, but it's just a really weird cover that would have been weird for 1985, which is when this when this album came out. I'm gonna get that in earlier this time, but it's still so very much of its time yes oh mega 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 of its time um <laughs> so yeah man well look should we get into this then should we get into side one all right who's going first flip a coin um shall i go first just because you went first last time you can go first all right let's do this so um yes um okay so side one well, we start, well, I'm going to try not to go through uh, every single separate track. So, okay, look, basically, this is very, very, very 80s. That is the first thing that you'll notice if you put on, put on any of these tracks. Um, so, yeah, first track, Malta, you've got these very 80s drums straight away. There's loads of synth textures, and it carries on like that. Now, for me, it's... We're kind of on a border here between a few things. We're, we're on a border between 80s pop, um, 80s prog rock, and then kind of, I guess, art rock or art pop, um, that type of thing. Um, I don't know if they if they get it right. I, or certainly I don't know if they get it right all the time. I think it, it feels a bit like these guys who were big in the 70s are trying incredibly hard to, to do a contemporary 80s album which is cool and progressive but also poppy and melodic how and many times have we said that i don't know yeah a lot, yeah a lot in general yeah a lot of times absolutely that yeah that they're trying very hard to bring themselves into the next decade basically mm -hmm. don't quite belong yeah and you know what it's very very well produced i'm not quite sure who produced it but it's really oh it's produced by rick fenn and nick mason so i don't know how much of a hand they had in actually physically sitting there mixing it or whatever but but the whole the whole thing is expertly produced the sound is brilliant the drums are so 80s at first i thought they were synthetic drums i don't think they are apart from maybe a few programmed bits i, I think i think what they are is the those 80s synth drums they might well be um, where yeah, he's they, playing but he's playing on the fake drums because those that is not a real drum sound but do you know what i actually don't know i think some of it may well be real drums that have just been really processed because that was it, a really big thing in the 80s where you yeah. just process the hell out it, of the drum they just it also it also could have been with because there was a lot of power in the drums. It could have been doubled. Yeah, yeah. I I think there's probably a bit of both going on. Um, there's there's certainly a lot of production, a lot of post production going on here. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, for me, it just 
I guess it just doesn't sit quite right. Sometimes it goes into a song that sounds a bit like Dire Straits. And I thought on Life for a Lie, is this Dave Gilmore singing? And yes, I'm just looking now. It is Dave Gilmore. Yes, yes, yes. Um, there's also Maggie Riley, uh, famous for her collaborations with Mike Oldfield singing. Um, not many vocals on this record, but vocals on a couple of tracks. Two tracks. Um, three tracks? Two tracks. Two, you two tracks. Yeah, one, totally. one on each side. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, there's some bits of saxophone. And I wondered if that was the same guy. Is it Dick Parry? It's not. It's someone called Mel Collins. Not sure if that's a man or a woman. It's a bloke. It's a man. Um, yeah. But um, I don't know. It just feels like they're trying very hard, and but they don't quite know where they're trying to get to. It feels like they don't know if this is progressive um sort of avant-garde uh i don't know it's sort of music for music for musos or music for intellectuals or if they're just going for a straight up 80s pop album but then it's mostly instrumental anyway um i don't know there's a lot of cheese here as well there's a lot a lot of times where it just crosses that border for me into whoa that's that's too much they suddenly bring out the pan pipe synthesizer and i go oh no it's just no i can't do that and um there was a couple of bits where i imagined that this was like an 80s advert for trying to sell you mortgages or something like that this really kind of upbeat synthetic um happy overly overproduced over happy sort of uplifting sound that you get on 80s adverts and some of this record sounds like that um but there is some cool stuff as well there are some cool lead guitars when it works it really does work um i don't know man i'm, I'm just not convinced by it overall all righty so I'm, I'm again like the like the waters record i'm gonna read my notes as they are because i feel like fair is fair right is right same is same so, side one. Oh my God, what the hell is this? <laughs> Crazy synth, giant drums. If this was a movie about the, if this was in a movie about the 80s that was released at this, released now in 2021, we would all say this song is way over the top and never would have been released in the 80s. Yes, you, you hit the nail on the head. And then, oh, Dave Gilmore singing. You know, it's, it's still completely insane and the synthers something i haven't figured out what in the hell's going on there the thing about the real quick i'm gonna break from my notes on this one briefly on the dave gilmore song lie for a lie he didn't play guitar he just sang right which and rick fenn is a great guitar player and he did a lot of really good david gilmore-ish kind of solos but it just seems yeah. silly to me to have my david gilmore i'm sorry Sorry, I apologize. I was just going to say there was a few times when I thought it might have been Gilmore playing guitar as well, but then it went a bit twiddlier in places, and I thought, no, maybe not, because he's not very twiddly at all. No, he's never twiddly. And it just seems silly to me to have him on a track and and not even get a solo. But you know what? It's not my record, so they do what they're going to do. And, you know, it's it's when it's not crazy, or, or even though it is crazy, there are some great guitar lines on this album and right. there are times when it's really catchy and really weird and you know kind of going back to your point on this album 
When it works, it works. When it doesn't, eh. Because it's, you know, you've got a lot of pieces that don't fit. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. A lot of pieces that don't quite fit. Um, yeah, I mean, look, so so you've got profiles, parts one and two, which I'm not quite sure where part one and two end because there seem to be about four movements to that to that track. But there's some really good, quite late Pink Floyd-esque guitars, really mm -hmm. nice oh, yeah. chords over this, sort of adding tension over this um, synth pedal in the background. And this four to the four, four to the floor shuffle thing going on, but then suddenly it goes into this organ solo. That's just for me, it's just not good. It's like a really awful organ sound. Just not not a cool, gritty organ sound. Just like um, I don't know, a fairground organ just gone wrong. Um, <laughs> and you think, why did you? Think that was a good idea. And then they go, oh, here we go. The panpipe synth is back. And you go, ah, and then a lot of it sounds like prog rock Enya. Um, yeah. Oh my, it, no, it sounds like eighties prog rock Enya. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. There's one bit where I put all sounds at this point are silly. There's, there's <laughs> <laughs> and they're all silly. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. Cause this is, when it works, it works. But when it doesn't, it's just ridiculous. And it's ridiculous for like 30 minutes. And yeah. And then they go tropical. They go, you know what? Let's just head to the Caribbean and let's borrow some of those rhythms and then mix that in with 80 synths. And, oh, I don't know, man. I, I agree with what you said earlier about this album. What is it? Yeah. What I mean, when they sat down and mapped this out, I really don't think they said, okay, we have this, we have this idea. We're going to do mm. avant-garde pop synth music. That's very catchy, but very crazy at all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. what they've done so far. Maybe side two has something better for us. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> so side two, we've got the other actual song with vocals called Israel. <laughs> And uh, uh, okay, okay, you should have saved that line for the the sum up, the other actual song. The other actual song, yeah, yeah, in, <laughs> indeed. Um, so yeah, which is <laughs> sung by who's it sung by? It's sung by somebody anyway. Yeah, Israel. Danny, no, I'm sorry. Where is it? Danny Pen Peyronel. Huh? Peyronel. Yeah, he's, he was in, um, let's have a look. He was in the heavy metal, oh, a pre he was a producer for band, bands like the Heavy Metal Kids and UFO, believe it or not. So there we uh, go. If you go to his Wikipedia profile, it's him wearing a puffy pirate shirt unbuttoned. So you see his chest and he's playing a, a keyboard like it were a guitar. It's not a keytar, but he's holding yeah. it like it's a guitar. Indeed. And by the way, I don't think he just, yeah, in fact, actually, he was a member of UFO and a member of the uh, Heavy Metal Kids. He's also a producer, but he was a member of those of those bands. So there we go. Fair um, enough. So that, for me, it goes almost, is this the one that goes almost into metal? Um, no, it's not. This is the one that goes, oh, that's right. This is the one with the quasi-operatic vocal, which I have to say, I didn't really like. Sorry, Danny um, Peyronel. I just, 
I found that a bit too much. Um, yeah, the quasi-operatic vocals didn't work to uh, to me. But there's the, yeah, there is the one that it is one of the ones that goes a little bit slightly metal with some effecty lead guitars. And there's another one a bit later on on this side which goes even more metal. Like, let me just try and find the name of the song. Here we go. There's a, a track uh, called Black Ice, which it suddenly goes into dark goth rock, gothic rock. Then you've got this massive smoke on the water rest, very smoke on the water rest guitar riff that is almost like metal. And it sounds a bit like the Osric Tentacles, who were a kind of space rock prog electronica band. Pretty cool band, actually. Um, but then we've got some odd stuff going on <clears throat> and we add some odd organ sounds and then it all starts to get too silly. And then they bring pan pipes synths in again. <laughs> and then, you know, um, and then, so, I don't know, man, like harpsichord synths, pushing it, pushing it. Um, but then some nice guitar solos, some nice tasteful guitar lines. Um, there's a few jazzy bits going on. It, this, this album is a bit of a mess. It's a bit of a mess in the same way that music from the bodies just goes from one thing to the next but somehow does it in a really cool way. It just works. This goes from one thing to the next and sort of tries to tie it all up and make it work together, but it's not even sure what it is in the first place. And then ugh, I don't really, I don't know if it works. I don't even know what they were going for. Um, it's all a bit too much for me. I'm going to stop talking. I think I've probably said, uh, said plenty. Uh, well, I'm glad you, you spoke at length on this because my, my notes are, are very short. With the the first side, I was trying to pay more attention, give it more, 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 all whatever you know, respect, adjustment, whatever. But as that side went on, it just got weirder and weirder. So inside two, I apologize. I checked out a little bit, and you know, it starts off with you know more of what in the hell is this, and that I, I think. I, I don't know that I need to read the other three lines of notes I wrote, because to me, that is this entire album. What in the hell is it? You know, it, it's got the feeling, you know, whenever anybody does a solo record, you tend to get that person's musical perspective, you know, forward. When Steve Vai did his first solo record, it was all guitars. When Mike Watt writes solo records, it's all bass. And so this is a Nick fan, or I'm sorry, you know, a Nick Mason solo record, and it's a lot of drums. The drums are strong in the mix, up forward. They sound great, and they've got a weird synthy quality with an analog power to them, which makes me think, as we've discussed this, it probably is a doubling or an after-effect processing in order to get that, because synthy drums at that time didn't have that power. But it's just everything on this album is so weird. And it's so it, it's it's weird for the sake of weird. So it basically it's the first postmodern 80s pop record, I guess. Probably the only 80s postmodern pop record. But you know, there's one song on here on the side where it just it feels like it requires vocals. It's probably the metal one you were talking about, but it doesn't have them. And as the album drags on and I'm just going, what am I listening to? What is the point of this? Where, you know, where are they going? They're just doing 
whatever and saying, oh, well, you know, I guess it's music. It's probably music, whatever. Shut up. It's music. And it's not. And that's the thing about this album. It's kind of well, like it's not music. That's now that's never been said before on the departments of metal antiquities about an album. It's not music. There, there are parts of it that are musical, but by and large, it's not. It's kind of like punk rock, right? A good friend of mine who loves punk rock explained to me once that to listen because he also loves Rush, and I couldn't work out how the same guy could love Rush and the Ramones, or Rush and the Sex Pistols, because those are so vastly, vastly different and just different consciousness. And the way he described it was punk rock isn't music. It's a different art form. It's a different medium. And that's what this is. It's not music. It's something else, largely. And I listened to it. You know, I bought this a couple of months ago, three. I don't know. I don't know how long it's been. I've only listened to it one time before today because it was so nuts. I, I will say I liked it better listening this time around because I found a lot more to like. But it's still really strange. Really strange. Yeah, and it, and this is the thing. The Roger Waters and Ron Geeson one is strange, but strange in a good way. Right. Um, this, this is strange because it, it's just a bit unclear what it's trying to be. And any of the things that they might have been trying to make it, I don't think it quite succeeds as any of those. Um, but at the same time, wow, it does it with such panache. It's, yeah, this is a grandiose, huge production. And like you say, if you wanted to show someone like almost a um, caricature of 80s music, you could play this. This just epitomizes everything about the sound of 80s music. Um, I just wanted to say, because you mentioned it and I hadn't actually said this. There is some great percussion stuff on this. There are some parts where there's a drum kit doing some really amazing grooves that, again, have that 80s sound, but it's but it's great. That 80s sound can sometimes be awful, but I think it works here. Um, and Agreed. And the percussion going on, and there's, there's some really nice grooves that get your head nodding at times. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, overall, I can't get into it. And when you know the context when you know where these people have come from you think wow like that's such a, a change to go from doing what you were doing to to this and you know all plaudits to them for for pulling it off as well as they have done but at the same time it, it just feels a bit like sometimes just stick with what you're best at or or try and do a totally new thing like if you're just gonna tr if you're gonna try and emulate that new thing that's going on and you're not really part of that and you're coming at it from a totally different angle and you're you're really steeped in a different style and a different genre then you it's going to be really hard to truly succeed to you know was this really i guess fleetwood mac are an example of a band that did that where they went from being a blues rock band to a massive 70s and then 80s pop band. Yeah, but they changed members to get there. They changed members to get there, exactly, exactly. Um, most bands that try and do something like that don't really succeed. And I think this this is a bit like that. And, you know, fair enough, if it's, no, you know, maybe they're just doing whatever they wanted and just having fun and enjoying the process, and that's all fine. But to me, that does not a great album make and... 
yeah, sorry, this is not a great album for me. So, spin it or bin it? Yeah, uh, I'm afraid bin this one. You know, I I broke my personal rule when it comes to solo albums. As everyone knows that listens to this podcast or has listened to it for, you know, once or twice, I love solo records. Solo records are one of my absolute favorite things in the world. That's why I have all of Roger Waters' work. I have all of Ace Fraley's work, except for the last couple, because they were crap. You know, I buy that stuff. I live for solo records. And but one of my one of my one of my rules is I don't buy drummers solo records. Right. So I broke my rules and I bought fictitious sports, which I don't even remember. And then I bought this one a couple of months later. And this week was the second time I've listened to it. Yeah. So I guess really, if I'm going to say I bought it and I'm still not listening to it, I guess I really can't say spin it because I'm clearly not and I have it. So I got to go minute on this one. So if we were going to do a head to head between the body and profiles, which I think is a great pair of records to discuss at that time, because we have two parts of Pink Floyd and it's the rhythm section, interestingly enough, which is yeah, did not occur to me when I came up with this idea. But we have two members of Pink Floyd doing different records at very different times in their career. And Roger Waters pulled it off, whereas Nick Mason did not. Yeah, I think that is correct. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've said all I need to say. I'm, re- I'm glad I listened to both, actually. But I, um, I'm particularly glad that I listened to the Waters and Geese and one. Um, I'll, I think I'll be checking that out again at some point. And maybe I, I bought a copy of it uh, from Seattle Goodwill as... Uh, I'm going to shout out Seattle Goodwill on Discogs one more time. I have bought, I have actually got an album in the mail from them right now. So they're nice. a thrift shop. Goodwill is the is America's biggest thrift shop. They are a chain right. in all 50 states. And the Seattle location has a dude, apparently, that just sells records. And uh, cool. yeah. But uh, I got nothing else for this week. Me neither. Well, thank you for listening, people, and we will see you again next time. We'll catch you next week with uh, part two of the Pink Floyd twofer. Have a good week. See ya.